Let's do it, baby. I guess so. Let's eat the weed. Welcome, my dear friends, back to another episode of the Pitcast. We're recording from Bob's beautiful apartment address. Not to be disclosed. Redacted. <laughs> address redacted. Um, and we've got the real we've got the real setup this time. It's like Joe Rogan. Yeah, we've I was all got, say it's Rogan-esque. It's Rogan-esque. We've all got mics in front of us and headphones on. Everyone's kind of serious and dialed in. It's real exciting. I want to apologize to you all uh, ahead of time if my voice sounds super awful because I'm getting over. My boy is even sicker than usual. Um, I'm Carter. I'm here, as always, with Matt Moss. We're joined again, unfortunately, <laughs> by little Greg. What up? Sup? Um, it's Bob's place, so unfortunately Bob is here. By default. <laughs> and I'm very, very happy to um, reintroduce an old friend of all of ours, the founding member of the Lords of the Pit, stranded in the desert wasteland of Texas, Mr. Danny Friedman. Howdy. <laughs> Howdy <laughs> is right. And I always give you shit for not coming back in cowboy boots every time you come to Chicago. That's why you're wearing the bolo today. I'm wearing the bolo today, but I, I truly expected a like a transformation out of you. Like, why hasn't that happened? Well, I couldn't bring my truck on the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's still all the stuff. There's like the hat, the boots. Is that everywhere? I've never been to Texas. Dude, it's messed up. So uh, you go to like the workplace and the formal wear. Like, so you, you don't wear your, uh, you know, wingtip nonsense. It's, uh, it's cowboy boots. It's cowboy. And I've been talking to Moss about this. If like a formal Western wear getup is as formal as like a suit and tie, like could you wear boots, a, a hat, like maybe jeans, even a jacket, a bolo to like to like a wedding? It maybe maybe not blue jeans, uh, but like let's see, had uh, black denim for example. Yeah, I've yeah. Definitely seen the black denim boots, like wearing a like a nice, like, you know, tucked in collared shirt with a, all that crap and uh, a bolo and like not a suit jacket over it, but like some sort of like nice darker, right, like, like a, a sports blazer. coat or a blazer yeah, on like the outside. I've definitely, I mean, they're, they're like doctors who go into the doctor's office and like, they're n that's what they wear. Yeah. You know, like, so yeah, I, I, th I think a wedding might be a, a stretch, but like, uh, I think you could, could do it to a degree now my question is is it like too because i i like i've been this stuff has been like of growing interest to me Being country western music and and wanting to be a cowboy would it if i were to do it though would it come across as like kind of hipster ironic or would it be more sincere are you kidding yeah, me absolutely a, yeah you're a putz wearing a, a goddamn bolo tie right now in like you know it's freezing weather in chicago Anything you, you wear is going to be are? hipster. It's yeah. going to be. So it's just like totally unavoidable for me. Yeah. For someone like me. 
That's my that's my worry because I do sincerely love country western music and the culture, but it's not mine. Like I didn't grow up. Well, with if it. you can divorce yourself from this hipster nonsense, then maybe at some point in your life, <laughs> you can be the true urban cowboy that you dream of being. I just wanna. I think I need to spend time on a ranch. I feel like I still need to do my time, huh? Maybe. Yeah, I think yeah so. you need to go to a dude ranch. I think I need to go to a dude ranch. Okay, well. <laughs> Um, the interesting thing about today, Greg, your uh, fashion is pretty much usual, right? All black. Yeah, all black banty, you know. Yeah, just the classics. But you're a lover of of boots. Uh, I do love me some Italian shoes. Yeah, boots, sneakers. Whatever. Do you collect shoes? Yeah. Nice. Are they uh, Japanese foiled alpha crimps? <laughs> no, no. But they are foreign, so nobody knows. Oh what yeah, they F- say. those FBB boots. You get, you do have FBB boots. Foreign black boots. FBB. Why Italian? Do you have an Italian ancestor who introduced you to this? No, they're, but they're generally all higher quality calfskin, you know, real soft, real nice leather. That's the other thing I have to think about if I'm if I'm to put this goofy outfit together are boots. Cowboy yeah. boots are very expensive. Cowboy boots are expensive. I mean, all boots are expensive, I guess. It's worth it, though, to look dope. For sure. I mean, there's those idiots out there who spend like $300 on a pair of sneakers. So, I mean, this, this isn't that bad. Yeah, that's the sneaker game. So what? So what is it about? Wait, you got the Yeezy nonsense. Is that what they call it? For those of you at home, Greg raised his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Three hundred isn't Thanks, even even the ice the tip of the iceberg. Okay. Yeah. It is true. I feel like we geek out over the prices of some old school cards, but yeah. there are some sneakers, well, that especially the collectible sneakers. Oh yeah, limited editions or, or retros or or stuff that's like a collaboration, right, between like a rapper and a clothing line or. I think Yeezys are particularly a problem because it's just it's just a name on yeah. a Chinese shoe. Like the quality of the shoe is like very low. Aren't all and they're super Chinese? ugly. Oh, sorry. No, no, they're not. I mean, Nikes are, you know. But if you buy, you could buy Italian ones, American ones, whatever, you know. There's That's this kind impressive. of like yeah. chunky sneaker look that is that is coming back in. You know, like that. Right, thick sole. It's like yeah. an inch, maybe a little bit more, and yeah. it's like wide it's like it past the base of your your foot like on both sides and the front and the back it's just massive like just a brick of plastic on your foot and you'd wear like really you'd wear like really dark slender jeans and then you have this really loud like chunky light colored sneaker to me that is not aesthetically pleasing but to some people it is i I would agree Yeah, yeah i would agree um but it is true. There's all sorts of weird collectible shit. Yeah, I'm sure people like line up out the door to buy these sneakers for like $1,500 and resell them for the price of a, a limited Lotus. Tons of ways to waste your money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow, there's a lot of chumps out there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you want to buy some magic cards? But <laughs> no, dude, I don't buy them shits anymore. <laughs> yeah, he just borrows all of mine. I just borrow mosses. <laughs> First thing I do. What I showed up today is, yo, dude. Yeah, the first text I got this morning was, yo, man, can I borrow X, Y, and Z? <laughs> it's always the volcanics. Yeah. It's hard for me to complete the set of, of yeah. volcanics. Well, luckily, I'm not using them because I'm playing a truce, too. <laughs> you know that's a lie. I think it's, um, I think your deck is kind of a good, like, it's kind of a good representation of what we're doing. It's like going back to... Going back to the source. Yeah, good segue, man. Going back to the going back to the original thing. My, you know, you're playing you're playing white weenie. Yeah. Just kind of like the deck people know and remember from their childhood. Yeah. And this tournament that we're about to do today 
was my first old school tournament. Same. Um, it was kind of the... It was oh, so like six months ago, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only, dude. Then yeah. I would know to get out. I just built my first white weenie. I'm ready to rock. Yeah. Let's do it. What should I play? Yeah. Thunder Spirits or Sarah Angels? Yeah. Both. Well, those... Yeah. Thunder Spirits, a little bit more advanced, but... That's true. Nobody should start with Thunder Spirit. It's one of those things that you buy and you go, oh, crap. What am I going to do with this I gotta, thing? I got to play with these somehow. It felt a little better when that card didn't cost like $100. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. That's a great thing. You show that card to like a modern player, which so this here's this creature that's worse than literally every yeah. other <laughs> every other comparable creature, like, you know, 2-2 two, two first strike flying, whatever. There's There's literally no worse creature like this to like someone who plays current magic and then you're like oh yeah this is a 100 dollars card yeah yes there's and, oh yeah it's also playable right <laughs> well it's 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 valuable in in that it's a legends rare and all that stuff is pricey you now yes. regardless of whether it's usable or not it's yes. just collectible that's very true but there's some stuff where you know it feels expensive nether void it just feels like it should carry the carry yeah. the cost it dominates the game once it's in play and it's also a unique effect, and the art yeah. is, is very evocative. Right. But It's a, an iconic item. There's yes. nothing iconic about it's an, Thunder Spirit. It's, no, it's just a, a it's terrible, a dude. expensive card. <laughs> it's a dude that you don't even play on turn three, because if you're winning with White Weenie, you should strip mine on turn two. There you go, man. So you can't even play it till maybe turn four. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah, Bob is, Bob is showing us a picture uh, from the original event where I'm wearing a backwards hat like a total douchebag oh yeah man these are the good old days like, yeah this is hopewell mullen has so a bowl cut i think this goes back to was it 2015 ray has a uh december 2016 where'd you find the picture uh it's on our official photo oh, archive wow. nice Lords of the Pit photo isn't archive. this crazy that we now so people start old school to be nostalgic about like shit from their childhood and now we're nostalgic about how old school was at the beginning yeah you're right because it's getting to like four or five years point yeah yeah like it's long enough that you're like oh yeah remember when look at that guy's hair and yeah like i'd forgotten about x y or z details or like some guys uh a good point is um our friend from logan square eric chardon's coming out to play today that's classic and he hasn't played since that event or he's played magic in the neighborhood meetup but he hasn't actually come out to a lord's event since that event right so it is it's like old. it's like old friends and and the reunion yeah. of um what we were doing? <laughs> oh, dude, oh, man! I wish we could. I wish we could post these uh, we could post pictures. These on the yeah, we'll find but a couple. Mull Mullen's hair is like he looks like Pete Wentz. Oh yeah, he looks exactly like Pete Wentz. And Jacob, and Jacob looks like an oil tycoon. <laughs> I remember uh, <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't met Jacob before that day, and just seeing him walk in in a suit, I'm like, "What's with this dude wearing a suit? This guy must be serious." That's weird. Yes, <laughs> turns out he's about as unserious as you can be. <laughs> yeah, is he a lawyer or something? No, definitely not. <laughs> Jailhouse lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Helping the denizens of Garfield. Yeah. Um, so it, uh, it's, it's funny. It's funny to feel nostalgic about even, even just this. I mean, Danny, I'm sure, like, we've, we've definitely gone over, like, your history with the beginning of the club, but, like, there's ways that old school has changed from how it was in the beginning. It's not just price, but it's also um, kind of like culture, too. Yeah. Yeah, that was a very different time. I think, like, I would love to see what the lists were that day, but I feel like even established archetypes back then, people were playing stews. Yeah. Everything was a stew. Yeah, and more like, or less. Well, I'm proud to say we do have quite a few photos of the deck lists from that day, so we can, we can write a little... Nice. 
four year later write up. Yeah. From someone's gonna have to do it. It's not gonna be me. I don't have the kind of memory. <laughs> don't look at me, Bob. Deep that back in the tank. I was strongly considering playing the exact same list that I played uh, back then. And if I could chime in right there, he said, but it's too bad. <laughs> it's just too bad. <laughs> but it's just too bad. I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. It was just this awful like white prison list oh, I with like, that. black vices. And I think I won maybe one game. I lost to Torque, and he cast like Disharmony. On, like I attacked him with two Sarangels. I'm like, I'm going to crush this dude easily. And he casts Disharmony, takes control of one Sarah, one Sarah blocks the other. He kills both of my Sarahs <laughs> with one Disharmony. That's such a wipeout. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe. I was just so amazing. I never, And I boarded in the Angels too, thinking that I was yeah. so clever. And I was like, how how did I possibly lose to this card? Like I I had no Disharmony clue. is probably like two and two red to cast or something. It's, One and two it's red. Four, yeah, it's, I think it's three to red. Or maybe 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 red Jesus. red. But so I, it sounds like your prison deck was doing exactly what it should because he was able to cast this really expensive, terrible card. Right, perfect. Yeah. Yes. I played Rug that day, but it was sub-optimized Rug that featured... Channel double green, fork double red, and mana drain double blue. <laughs> See, this is what I mean. Those are like that was what was really cool back then because even if you were going to play like like blue red counterburn, for example, uh, this goes even back before this event. But one of the Swedish lists was an electric yield deck. That's that's what yeah, it was. I, I remember seeing a picture of that. Elec- and, yeah, and the first eternal weekend. Uh, old school in 2014 with like 12 people was won by Heiner Litz playing the Electric Heel deck. Obviously, four strip mines and all that nonsense sure. because EC rules. But um, what does Electric Heel do? I don't even remember. I can picture the card, but I don't remember what it does. It's a shitty blue creature that you can pump like with uh, red mana. Oh wow! And it deals damage to you, doesn't it? Yeah, when you so. pump I don't, it, I don't remember. I think it like, does. I don't know anything I think about it, magic. I think it starts out. Don't hold me to this. I think it starts out with maybe one power, but maybe zero power. I think maybe Bob is sitting in front of a computer, so we could actually figure this out. <laughs> Thanks, maybe Bob. right now. Bob's over in the truck, <laughs> checking the put, instant put, replay. Put, 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 put now Bob we're putting him on the spot. Uh, I mean, the point is, is that nobody knows what the card does because nobody plays it. Yeah. But it was one of those charming things where there were there were these goofy cards added to these powerful lists that eventually get kind of weeded out over time as things get boiled down. Uh, we were trying to be really clever and not have this on the mic, but it was really funny because Bob was clearly paying great attention to the podcast because he just asked me off mic what card. <laughs> so Electric Eel is a fish creature, and it, when it enters the battlefield, it wants dam- does one summon. damage to you. Okay. And uh, it has an activated ability of red, red. Oh, and boy. The eel gets plus two, plus zero, oh, uh, and deals one damage to you. Until end of turn. Okay. So, uh, so it's yeah. a one-one fish. It's a one-one for for just one blue. That's right. Oh, okay. So this is what I mean. Like, y- you talk about you talk about decks that are like optimized and established, and like there's no better example of a deck like that than blue-red counterburn. Yeah. Yet somehow that kind of thing was playable back then. You just would never see that now. So when I, like I feel nostalgic about the early days because that even when you're playing the the tier deck air quotes like uh-huh. that kind of crap was still in there you know like moss could show up with what he would call rug and then you know list these you know three different choices. doubles yeah. yeah like that that's um, just the definition of an unsolved format at that time certainly yeah it was a real joy like that like 
and of course I'm a, a terrible example because then I would bring like real decks and like crush you guys with like, <laughs> oh yeah, look, counterspell, no way. But um, the yeah, day of know. the day of that original party of the Pit Lords, um, I'd played a show the night before, like a, a one of my old bands, and probably got out of that at like one thirty. Slept for a couple hours, then woke up at like 6 a.m. and drove. This is back when I still lived in Iowa and then drove across Illinois here. And I remember driving around looking for a parking spot in the neighborhood around Hopewell and kind of getting lost up there on Sawyer Avenue yeah. behind the Mickey D's. Um, it's, all, it's all one ways back in there and just getting and lost Milwaukee's there. And Angle Street. It's yeah. really confusing. It yeah. is, yeah. And now you live there. And now I live like three blocks or two blocks away. Yeah. I just loved it so much. But it was one of those deals where when I was looking for housing, I didn't even make the connection until, <clears throat> excuse me, the connection until after. I'm like, holy shit, I remember this place from like when I'd played Magic at the at the Lord's Meetup. Yeah, you're like, oh no, I'm way closer to these guys. Yeah, no thought. shit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all in. Did you get there early? I did get there, not like really early, a half hour or so early. And I remember walking up to Hopewell, which hadn't opened its doors yet. And Ray was out there having a cigarette. And I'm like, hey, are you here for the old school? And he's like, yeah, you know, whatever. He kind of grumbles at me and <laughs> like looks at me. He's like, who is this guy? You know, um, and Wreck and Torque were outside. And I remember trying to make chit chat with them. I'm like, I like magic, too. <laughs> was that your first uh, tournament with the Chicago crew? Or yes. Yeah, that was the first time I'd driven out to play with you guys. And I don't remember. You stayed at my house, I think. No, I drove back after that. I drove out. So, that, yeah, that's the end of that story. I drove home after the, the meetup. And it, that was the first time I'd met you. And then it was the next event yeah, that was where it. I stayed at your place. And then we played. I remember we hung out too, and we played games at in, that night yeah. in Danny's apartment yeah. that night. Yeah, and I won handily. <laughs> I don't handily. know if that's true. I remember that with great clarity. <laughs> I know. I'm not so sure about How that convenient. one. Convenient. Uh, but but yeah, it is. It feels it feels really cool to go back. This this <laughs> tournament um, kind of caps off a kind of charity season that yeah. we had where um, the the goal was, I think, even starting in October, maybe even uh, September. It was October. Yeah. October. Was to have several, um, several tournaments that were all toy drives so that we could kind of lead things up to this big drop off, you know, to kind of have a, have a brief moment to say, oh, cool, look, look at all the stuff that we can do. And it's cool to, it's cool to see things actually, um, Physicalized, you know, because money is so illusory, and this is more, you know, we'll be able to kind of say, hey, this is like, like, tangibly how much we've uh, we've done over the course of this like charity season. Yeah. Well, it's just cool to see a massive grip of toys. Like I've already got quite a bit at my house. Jaco's got a bunch, and I'm, well, I'm sure we'll get a bunch more today. And then we're doing the drop off on Monday afternoon. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of, um, you know, it's just it's kind of cool to actually see the thing uh, reaffirmed that everyone is. But we did a toy drive at the very first party of the Pit Lords. That's where that this whole idea came back. It's like let's run it back again. Yeah, I remember that. I remember. I remember the. I remember there being like a pile of toys in the mm -hmm. in the corner of the of the brewery. So it's just one of those things. It's like it's cool. I feel like I've I might have brought up this point in some other podcast, but. It's cool to see inaugural events, and then this, and then can you repeat it after a year? You know, and then it feels so much more like a locked-in thing. That was like going to LobsterCon with you, Danny, where I was like, "Oh, this feels like a real, 
a real thing. They really knew what they were doing the second time. Yeah, that was a blast. It was. It was sweet. Um, so, speaking of speaking of repeat stuff, Moss and I we drove up to uh, Michigan just last weekend to hang with our friends, the Knights Taplar, in. Uh, a zone they call Area 51, which is it's such a bummer that you never got a chance to get out there, Danny. It's like truly a, a warehouse in the middle of nowhere. It is. Yeah, the pictures look amazing. Like, like with it a, looks really fun. Oh, bar- yeah. surrounded by a barbed wire fence and woods. Yeah, God. and you're driving, and yeah, right, you d- you drive past like a chain link fence, go toward the back, you get let in, and there's tables and like you know chili. This time there was a taco bar set up, and it actually did it it. And I feel like people were playing decks. It's funny, like, to, to your point that, you, you know, where we, even in the beginning, we knew what was good. We thought we knew what was good. Well, we knew, I think we knew, like, the architect. We knew, like, the lanes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we knew that there was a Kurt Ape deck. We knew that there was a JM Day Tome deck. We knew that there was a, a, a Ankh of Mishra deck. But as time has gone on, things have been, like, sharpened to a point. And it felt like people were purposely kind of going back to that time uh, in, in, in Michigan. The point is that the, sounds beautiful. Yeah, the point the point is just to do that on purpose. It's like once you know, maybe you can't really unknow. Right? Like yeah. once you once you see once you understand that electric eel might not be the best thing to do, it's hard to say, well, I'll just play the eel anyway. Yeah. Because it's a prisoner's dilemma, right? Because um, I know you're not going to play the less optimized card. And I would like to, but since I know you won't, I can't either because I have to beat you. Yes, oh, it's it is. It's like a, it's like an arms race from there. Yes, it's a really unfortunate situation to be in because the uh, the culmination of all these problems results in just really mediocre tournaments where everybody just plays decks that you know about. And well, I mean, yeah, the like, homogeneity. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I say mediocre in, in that there's just there's a piece of excitement that's missing that in this tournament that you're talking about right now, it had that excitement. It's, um, so knowing that you can't like unknow things and knowing that like because of social media or maybe just the culture of old school itself, things have changed, you know, that like, you know, the points have been, have been sharpened. How do you then take yourself back to 2016? For instance, is it is it by imposing like restrictions on yourself? No, I, I think like the problem is if, if you make like weird brew rules, that's something totally different. And then if you kind of all have this like social pact to play something mediocre, then when somebody brings something slightly better than the average, everybody looks at that person <laughs> like, man, that's pretty lame. Like it's, <laughs> I I think you just can't. I don't think there's a way to go back. I think. I guess maybe if you have really small events and you're all friends and and you just have that group culture of doing stuff like that, it'll just happen naturally. Otherwise, I don't think there's any way you can targetedly make that happen. Has there been has there been a point recently where you've felt where you've been where you've been playing like you've traveled to because uh, you do you do a decent amount of, of traveling for events or I, I think you you let yourself you know well that's all I do now I. I there aren't any local events, right? I mean, even events in Texas are not local events. Sure, right. Because so, 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 whenever you get yourself out there, it is it is something novel. 
is is maybe the feeling that takes you back to 2016. Maybe it's more about like the location and the and the time rather than the actual games. Yeah, I, I'd say that's a big piece of it. I, the more I play, the less I like big tournaments. The yeah. more I like just like hanging out with people and the magic becomes less important and and what makes it feel like those old events is is the casual play almost. It's like it's not the actual tournament play. It's like, oh yeah, we we both pulled out our crappy mono green decks and, and played the mirror, you know, fifty games in a row, uh-huh. you know, at a at a side table or something like that, you know, or or did that like while eating breakfast. Like those are the the things that you that make you feel like that. It's not I think the tournament play has moved past it somehow. So Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think um I think knowing that you can't return, it's just so funny. It's so funny that there's this parallel between like, you know, the cards in in 1993, and then even the cards in 2016, and how things keep going. Um, we'll never be able to go back to 2016 when we were in this Garden of Eden phase. So the things that are new and novel and exciting aren't necessarily um, are. It's it's not. You know, oh, this person played this breakthrough deck, even though there still is, I believe, space for that type of thing, in in some variant or another. Nobody's gonna, you know, pull some random card out of Legends and be like, "This was actually good," but there might be an application of things that we haven't we haven't seen previously. Like, do you want to talk a little bit about the? Uh, are you playing the deck that we talked about previously to today? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I played against you. On yeah, the, the thing deck. that yeah. you played against me. Do because because it, it, it's it's something that like people know about, but like the specific iteration on it sure is unique. We well, don't have to spoil anything. Well, nobody's gonna find out. All right. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about this. Yeah. So, I think I've been in a weird spot with old school now that I don't live in a place where I can play locally, and because I can't play locally. Uh, I'm in this spot where if I'm traveling to every event, I can't just bring terrible stews because it feels really bad to jump on an airplane. Yeah. Go somewhere yeah, else I and like that. go like one in five. Yeah. So like winning is some, it, it's, a, it's something that I've come to terms with that winning is something somewhat important. You can say it. It's okay. It feels You're really amongst tanky friends. It's okay, it dude. Really Honestly, bad. all of us deep down... <laughs> Yes. We, everyone at this table likes to I support to win. you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we all support you. Greg really especially is yeah. like... <laughs> oh, like, yeah. I've got blue and white today. <laughs> yeah. For so, sure. So, yeah, it feels pretty bad. But I, I think knowing that, it's and all my events now cost a lot of money and a lot of time, and I can only travel so much to do this. Right. Um, I can't just bring the shittiest stew possible. Like, if this were, like, today... For example, there's a local event for you guys, and Carter can bring, you know, the Carter shit box, and, uh, <laughs> which I'm sure you, you have. Like, uh, 75 heaters. 75 stone cold you know, ring like, of uh, maroons. suppose and um, <laughs> other horrendous cards. I don't know, things like that. But, like, you know, you just can't do that when you travel. So, I guess, where, so it's either, I'm going to travel and I'll either play something that, I'm working on optimizing that's more tier one, which I've done a lot lately, which I feel like I'm over. And then there's a, a more exciting area that's, I think, a little harder to work within, which is let's take a tier three strategy and see if you can make it like have tier 1.5 results. So it could have a shot. It's like you, it doesn't need to be 
I'm most likely to win this thing, right? If you, if you walk to right. a tournament, I'm not going to win the tournament today. I'm absolutely not going to win the tournament. But there today, is a but chance. But you're trying to get well, from that's why two and four. Nine. That's right. the chance, right? That's it. So yeah. you have the, So there's still. I feel like that's bumping the the three up to the one point five. Is I mean, I play no win cons in most of my decks as well. So even if I get the most busted opener possible, if my opponent doesn't concede to me, I could also still lose. So <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to get from two and four to four and two. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So yeah. So the. You know, this this was an idea I was thinking about a lot in like 2015, and I never bought the cards because I had other priorities, and now I can't buy nice versions of them. But I, I was thinking for a long time, like, how do I make Power Surge a playable card mm. in this format? Like, obviously, like we've seen lots of terrible Power Surge decks out there, mm -hmm. and people have brought it to tournaments, but it's always like people aiming for spice prizes and things like that. Um, but uh, I think there's, well, I built something today, which I think is a viable power search deck. And it revolves around a core set of cards, which I, I guess I can go into a little bit. I don't know if you, you don't need to say, hey, if you don't want to spill all the beans, you got to save a little for the Patreon. You don't have to, because that, because that's <laughs> right. You save it for, the, you can save a bit of it for the, for the Patreon. But I mostly just wanted to discuss like that point with you where it's like, the like ever, people know what power surge is, but like the actual uh, actually applying it and the actual deck building, there's there's some nuance there. There's stuff that where it's like I know I know what a power surge deck is in the abstract, but that is something as old school goes on, we can kind of like iterate on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's been interesting. It's been very very interesting building with that and like saying how do I make a deck that can actually win games. And, uh, and I think there's a bunch of different avenues to go on with Power Surge. There's, like, this, like, Mana Flare type thing I've seen where, like, oh, cool, you're going to make you're gonna make everything even more painful. Uh, yeah, and then you Candelabra those lands a bunch Wait, of Wait, so Mana Flare stacks with Power Surge, so you take two, or two damage if you don't? You're going to end up burning for more oh, because yeah, you yeah. have to tap all your... Your lands all oh, have to yeah, tap yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So basically, if okay, you make all the lands yeah. more effective... Okay. Like, well, wouldn't you just not tap him and take one? Well, then you're still dealing them damage. Like, basically, right. you create a situation where people don't want to use their land, so either you deal them one or they deal themselves more. You know, like... Forcing the and, issue. And, and then every time they tap them, though, with the because with, with, um, with uh, Mana Flare, there is always the potential, unless it's an X spell, to burn anyway when you cast a spell. Yeah, so you know, like, if your only card is your a... Your three drops. Right. The insanely bad thing about cards like Power... And the other cards that go with it. So, like, so like other thoughts are, like, so Candelabra is this, this yeah. core idea here. Um, Mana Barbs is another card that people mm -hmm. see a lot because basically you have the, these two effects now that are dealing you damage when you use or don't use your lands. Right. Um, and so it kind of works you into a corner. But the real issue here, this is why this is a tier three strategy. Uh, these cards are symmetrical effects that hurt everybody. Yes. Uh, so if you're playing a terrible deck like with these cards and your opponent plays a 1-1 one -one and gets ahead in the life total race, I mean, you're just going to lose that game to your own cards. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yes. and that is a why. That's, it's, it's solidly like a tier three strategy. And there's also a fundamental problem with... Um, Mishra's factory. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Mana sinks. <laughs> mana sinks are a huge problem. So, yeah. if, so if you don't have the mana barbs in play, uh, a card like, you know, if if you can, this uh, again, I'll preface this with, uh, this only works in mana burn formats. 
if you're not playing, yes. if you're playing like Swedish rules, for example, Power Surge is an irrelevant card. And this goes exactly back to why uh, Mana Burn was one of the rules. Mm-hmm. When, when Jaco and I were talking about this in like 2014, this is why Mana Burn had to happen because there are cards that just don't make sense without Mana Burn and they're just not cards in the format at all if you don't have Mana Burn. Yeah. Like Drain Power or like Power Surge are just absolutely irrelevant. Right. So, um, but yeah, so... If you have a mana sink and there's no mana barbs in play, power surge is absolutely irrelevant. And so you have to deal with something like Mishra's Factory because it's an infinite sink. It's an infinite sink that works, it, unlike Jame Day Tome, for example, where you can only activate it once and it takes four total. Uh, yeah, Factory is just, you, you actually just can't beat that card. Yeah, so the, so the yes, I, I think a big reason, it's almost as if, like, it's, it's the hyper-prevalence of Factory. Yes, that's that the issue. That kind of knocks it down. Like, if, if, if Factory, for some reason, weren't as good... If Factory were a fringe card that you saw, like, in one out of every, like, five decks, it'd be fine. But the problem is, Factory is in more decks than probably, like, I don't know, name any card that shows up more often than Factory that's unrestricted across the format. It'd be really hard to say. Even like Lightning Bolt and Disenchant. It's like Factory would go in both a Lightning Bolt and a Disenchant deck. Correct. Strip Mine? Maybe Strip Mine. Possibly. But I think there's decks that would play the... Well, there's decks that would play the Strips before the Factories and decks that would play the Factories before the Strips. Also not accounting for all the other rule sets that people play where you can only play one Strip Mine. Factory is still just as prevalent there. So... Basically, yeah, when we take all these factors together, the fact that symmetrical damage, the fact that factory nullifies your main, the main point of your deck, yeah. um, this is just, it's tier three garbage. So I, I'm hoping that, <laughs> I'm really hoping that I can not lose every round today. Well, you know what? You're doing, you're doing a noble thing, and I very much respect it. And I feel like, though... Um, Though we can never go back to 2016, I think you found a way to take something that you must have thought of a while ago and then be like, well, no, there's still there's still room to like adjust here. Oh, I'm hoping. Thank hoping. you. I'm hoping. I'm really hoping. It. Yeah, I this was at a time where I could have actually afforded like alpha power surges and everything, alpha mana barbs, all that stuff back then. And I was like, oh, I've got other higher priorities. And now it's just like I'm never gonna own that crap. No. Oh yeah, yeah. If you had the if you had the foresight back then to buy them, you know, who knows? Well, that's why I wasn't playing stuff like that. It was like, well, I'll, once I get the cards, I'll play it. But of course, you know, th- at the rate that things have, uh, you know, gotten to, it's it's just not good. Right. Play. So you being a very prolific alpha collector, with the price of alpha being so astounding, have you ever thought about? Well, clearly you must have slackened a little on your. It's only got to be alpha rule yeah because it's impossible now because now it's impossible have you thought about transmuting the alpha into something else or is it just something to like treasure and to hold on to i think i think looking at collectibles in general as uh this this item that's more than an item like like this something that embodies an idea it's kind of dangerous when you look at that you know it's it's like in a way, it's it's kind of this like ode to material, and ode to like capital idolatry. Yeah, it's it's pretty foul, and I think magic is like one of the best examples of this. Like, the, you know, we're talking about collectible shoes, we're talking about these collectible magic cards. Like, it's 
it's really bad. So I think, um, well, in my opinion, I don't, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, and, and I think my magic collection really goes against that ethos. And, and I've got a problem with that. You know, it's, there was a point where I was talking to, uh, to Bob this morning about this. And I remember when I bought my first Lotus, because I've now, sadly, I think been through like three or four. Uh, I think it was an Alpha Lotus in 2005. And I think it was like a thousand bucks. It's like played, but yeah, yeah. What, what, yeah, uh, like it would be 2019 near mint, but at the time that was very played. Uh, hmm. and it was a thousand bucks, and I felt that was irresponsible. And then I looked at my like vintage deck at the time, I think it was like Control Slaver or something like that, and I was like, wow, a ten thousand dollar deck that's obscene and irresponsible. And what's weird is we now live in a time where no one would blink an eye at a ten thousand dollar old school deck Mm-mm. that's like that's the basic entry if you're not playing CE. They're all more than ten thousand dollars. Yeah, you can look at hundred fifty thousand dollar decks easily now, mm-hmm. and and that really bothers me. So, to get back to your original question, do I think of like transmuting my alpha collection into something else? Uh, I probably, if I could wave a wand and turn it all into unlimited, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd do it for sure. I think. Just yeah, it's interesting. I th- I think you maybe must have felt like on one hand excited as the prices went up and then also maybe like kind of a feeling of dread, you know, where yeah. you're like, Oh no, the stuff that I bought kind of as this novelty. Now you just, it's like the weight of knowing how much it is and the weight of, um, it's, it's like a new kind of responsibility that you have almost. There's something very not fun about it. Well, it's just like, increased risk. Yeah. And so that ties to your just risk aversion as a person. Like, and Danny, you had mentioned converting alphas into unlimiteds. I don't even take my unlimited power out hardly ever anymore just because I'm more risk averse. And to me, it's, it's hard to see past the dollar signs. It's like, oh shit, this has gone up two, three, four X in some cases. Yeah. And it's just like, if somebody spills a beer on this, uh, I'm going to be super pissed off and distraught. I actually had a night. This is pretty nerdy admission here. I had a nightmare earlier this week about somebody just spilling water on my deck today at this at the event we're going to do today. But in my dream, it was the unlimited stuff. And like, I'm trying to like, you know, scramble to find a play, you know, uh, find a way to get it, um, dry it out. But it's yeah. one of those things. You ever have the dreams where you're constantly thwarted? Sure. It's yeah. like oh, everything I'm trying to do in my dream, like something is getting in it's the like way. It's like you go to the bathroom and the paper towel is all out. Yes, and or like the door is locked. And, and yeah. you know, it, it was like one of those, like I kept having hurdles getting into my way of trying to dry out the deck. So I'm like, it's getting worse. Like the cards are being further ruined, you know? Yeah. So that's how risk averse I am. I literally have nightmares about this shit. I've, I also, ha- I remember borrowing your Lotus at Eternal Weekend and I would like bolt awake at night and check my and check the box and I was because I was seriously in the position where I was like if I lost this I couldn't afford to pay boss back yeah well, I'm gonna become I'm gonna fucking seize all your possessions <laughs> all and I'd, be, I'd be giving him my my sweet western yeah. wear yeah I'm gonna be inundated with sweet clothing straight from the charity shop yeah I don't know I think it I think it's I think it's real I think yeah, this some, is what I mean it takes the fun away it, like, it sort of does because you're having like nightmares and, and shit like that like <laughs> it, it, like well, that's the extreme example. I don't think most people are having nightmares. Everybody's having nightmares, yeah. Moss. Well, true. That's where you're wrong. I bet. I, I would bet that a decent amount of old school players have had that, either that daydream or that nightmare. Because if not, then the money just doesn't mean anything to you. I've I've like misplaced a card and 
like, yeah. had night sweats about where's sure. their card. Those were totally. meat sweats. <laughs> <laughs> I think after every time I play, yes. Roasted. <laughs> no, I've I did realize we were at a Denny's because that was a grand slam. <laughs> Well, I had the uh, Mullen and I played that game of vintage where he dacked my ruby, and this was the last game of our series. And he just shuffled it up into his deck, which he'd borrowed from Jaco. Gave the deck box back to Jaco. Jaco went out of town, and I didn't realize till like days later. Oh and man! And I like tore it was my to sell your card. <laughs> probably yeah. And I tore my uh, room apart looking for this ruby, and I'm like, well, shit. It, it was a, a CE ruby, but still, it's like, well, I'm out this ruby, and I bought it for like sixty, seventy-five bucks, and now I'm like. All right, well, if I have to replace this, how much is it? And it's like 300 bucks. I'm like, God damn it, you know? And right. we ended up finding it, right, because it was in Jayco's deck, yeah. deck box. But for like a day, you know, I thought I was just out. Every time I finish playing, uh, I've, I've now made just this habit of counting all of my cards because I think it becomes this, like, obsession yeah. that, like, you know... You're gonna lose one of them. It's a good habit to have, but then the one time you forget because you're you went to time and you or you have to use a bathroom between rounds or whatever, and then it's like, oh shit, you know, uh, I misplaced a card. Where is it? Oh, it went in a different deck box. Or well, and the fact that we have to do that and have this conversation here is exactly what yeah. the problem is. Totally. Like, yeah. It's, you should not have to worry about this. These yeah. are these are like toys, and these are uh, yeah. I mean, this is an elective, like fun choice that we that we make to do yeah. that we make. And, I, I don't know. I, th I think it's, yeah, I think the value puts us in the wrong direction. So, like, every time I look at that, and, like, especially with a card like Black Lotus, it's, like, it just, it, yeah, it feels very incorrect to me to, to have something You know what like stresses that. me out, dude? It's the idea of, like, a friendship being ruined or damaged over, like, a mistake, you know? Like, depending on who it was or which card it was at the right time, like, the mistake of, like, spilling a drink and having it ruin somebody's card and the actual financial damage that that would cause. Because, like, money is money is the root of a lot of problems, a lot of disagreements, you know? It would just be... It would be heartbreaking to me for, like, my relationship with someone to suffer due to you, just the fact that this is fragile material and it can... And it can get damaged. Yeah, and so. that absolutely would happen. You can you could mm -hmm. pretend that that kind of thing wouldn't happen with your closest friends, but like if it's enough money, oh yeah, that kind of thing happens. It could, it, yeah, like, it really could. The money would have it would have to be worth nothing. Like you're, for that to not be a problem, the person who whose item was damaged or lost or whatever, yeah, would have to be so unbelievably wealthy. And even after that, it might just be a principal thing. Like wow, this person, you know, even if like right. e that person would never be able to to put that on the shelf I don't think which is just terrible like that that's that that comes between people but I mean that it's the reality yeah that, so the takeaway here people with a conscious I think I know some people <laughs> even in town here that would be like oh well I ruined his mocks so that's no big deal <laughs> <laughs> moving on that's the thing that I daydream about the most it's it's it would be ruining somebody else's thing and then our relationship being destroyed the that takeaway there is be careful with my goddamn volcanic islands today <laughs> As I borrow, like, a couple hundred dollars yeah. worth of cards from Boss yeah. still. On the finger. That's actually why I don't let people borrow cards most of the time and why I don't borrow cards. Because yeah. I, I remember in the past, like, I've, I've been playing Magic a while, and uh, I remember just, like, meaningless, like, nothing cards that eventually, like, became expensive-ish that never got returned when I let someone borrow them. And 
I still remember that. <laughs> and it's not something that I like want to remember, but like how terrible is that that I can like remember like this negative thing that happened and would I want anyone to feel the same about me? And do I ever want to feel like that about anybody else? Right. Like it's not like I didn't forgive them, but it's it's still in my head, you know? Well, don't worry don't worry, Danny, because Grant will totally sell your cards back to you. He'll for sure. Yeah. Dude, yes. that's if what you, I need If Grant you win for. them, if, <laughs> Thanks, Grant. If Grant, remember, Grant will totally sell your prize cards. I gave Grant an unlimited <laughs> lightning bolt. I mean, whatever, a couple bucks, not a big deal, value-wise. And then oh, he tries that, to sell even, it to Picard for probably like a 300% markup. <laughs> that's even better, though, the fact that it was worth no money. Yeah. <laughs> and we still get to roast him over like a couple dollars. Yeah. It's the absolute best. Just trying to harvest EV out of a gift. <laughs> Just squeeze ease it out um but yeah you know uh we may have to be hitting the road here fairly soon gentlemen we're actually recording this right before the uh, right before the tournament itself um greg you're playing blue and white per usual i'm playing a three color white weenie deck Ooh, i think yeah. wonder bread deck right isn't Dope. that what uh, what it's been called lately it pretty much a, a savannah lion serendip deck is is what we call wonder bread or the the yeah. Southerners call right. it. Yeah, I'm not playing dibs or whatever. But oh, okay. It's similar. Similar. Blue, white, red. There you go. Actually, if he's not playing dibs, then I say it doesn't count as Wonder Bread. Okay. It just counts as Greg deck. <laughs> what are you playing, Carter? I'm playing the slot machine, baby. I'm going to try to put some enchantments onto artifacts and use my Ring of Maroof. And it's all good, baby. And then I have uh, White Weenie, or as I call it, Understanding White Weenie in Danny's <laughs> honor because it splashes blue for the best card oh ever printed. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I'm playing a mono black deck. It's really weird. I saw some of it sleeved up yeah, over there. It's, uh, it's a Lord of the Pit, Breeding Pit deck. Oh, dope. With also a very interesting... Bizarre Baghdad animate dead combo. Sounds like a torque deck. He used to use Jizams and Bizarres in the same deck. Yeah, why not? Bob's deck is sick as fuck. <laughs> nice. It's fun. Way to bring the like good fun. shit today, Bob. Yeah. yeah. You're gonna have round after round of enjoyable plays because even when you don't win them, I can't wait. Ridiculous to. things will happen in every single game. Yeah, we goldfished a couple hands that I had like a turn one and then a turn two Jizam. Mm. Two. Can't wait to play White Knight against you, Bob. (laughs) I know. I'm trying to borrow a pestilence. I hope someone brings a couple pestilences. That doesn't kill White Knight, Bob. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, shit. All right, Jovial Evils then. Yeah. Or Disc, maybe. All right. Well, cool. Thanks again. That'll do it. Can we give a shout out? To the charity? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. Good call, Bob. Um, The charity is going to go to, or the the toy drive, that is, will go to the benefit of Cradles to Crayons Chicago. They collect um, not just toys, but, uh, you know, supplies, clothing, all kinds of stuff for needy families, needy children. And if you're a big baller and you're listening to the PitCast, throw them a couple bucks. Yeah. They're a good good charity. Throw throw something on top of of the grip of toys. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, we're, that we'll be dropping off later this week. All right. Thanks again, friends. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Thank you. And I guess, Greg. <laughs> thanks again, Greg. Love you, buddy. Love you, too.
Hello.